Well, good morning once again, church. Very uh, excited and uh, anticipating what the Lord will share with us today. May you find yourself blessed in His presence. And may you receive much blessing from Him. May you give Him honor and praise this morning for all His goodness to you and me. Amen. Well, we will be in Acts chapter 15 this morning. We'll be going through verses 12 through 21, uh, getting a little bit more in depth of of how uh, the church dealt with the situation going on between the Judaizers and the Gentiles about them uh, following the Mosaic law. Well, let's go ahead and pray, go before the Lord, and we'll go ahead and read our text this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you again for another opportunity to live life. Thank you that you've given us rest throughout the night and you've woken us from our sleep. And now we awake and we anticipate your presence in our lives. What will you show us today? Where will you take us? How will you speak to us through your word? How will we uh, be able to see it manifested in our own lives personally? We uh, want to quiet our hearts before you now and ask that you would rid us of all distractions and that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. Make it crystal clear the message that you have for each and every one of us this morning. Father, we need uh, to be emptied of ourselves and to be filled fresh with the Holy Spirit that we may be able to focus and concentrate and ultimately apply uh, these principles to our lives and see ultimately Christ in this message. So again, Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in your Son, Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 12, and it reads, And all the assemblies fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from old. I've entitled the message this morning, Viewing Life Through the Word of God. And that's that's not apart from Christ, but in Christ, there's no way that you and I as Christians can do anything else but view life and the world through the lens and the scope of God and God's word. This is uh, what is called a biblical worldview, and this is the best way to live because it gives you the proper perspective as God is the creator and using the analogy of a car and a car manual. Well, how will you know best to take care of your car lest you read the manual? The person or the company that manufactured the car leaves that booklet 
in the glove compartment and that's how you understand how to tend to the vehicle to have it run at its optimum uh, peak and that's the same thing for us as people in our spiritual lives and even in our physical lives it's you know looking at the blueprint the blueprint is the bible you know that old acronym the bible basic instructions before leaving earth and that's what we want to focus on today looking at life's situations through the lens of god's word in our last message we learned that god sees no divisions amongst various people and that his desire is that all receive the gift of salvation it was debated hotly amongst the church at this time in this context how someone was to be saved the jews and gentiles had different opinions on the matter but they had both come or coming to the realization and the understanding that it is salvation by christ alone not keeping the mosaic law not keeping the law of moses but the question remains now in our text how do you get these various people people groups in different rate from different racial backgrounds and cultures to agree on what to do how do they actually apply these principles on a daily basis it's one thing to say okay i understand that i i'm only supposed to accept christ alone but how do i apply that to my life how am i supposed to live that out and that's what we're going to learn about today the main points that we have this morning are this the first one is again Turning to God's word is the most effective way to convey truth to people. And that's obviously because God's word is true. It's an absolute truth. There's nothing uh, false about it. You can't water it down. Many try, but the word of God will not be thwarted by any false prophet or any false teacher. As we have seen before, all true impactful biblical teaching teaches what the Bible says and nothing else. Not one's own opinions on the matter or the subjects, or even solely focusing on the individual's own experience. No, not that at all. You see, our testimonies are a very vital part of our Christian experience. They are, and it's basically how we witness uh, to others the glory of Jesus Christ. But our testimonies don't supersede the Word of God itself. Ultimately, it is the Word of God that convicts and convinces a person of their sin and their need of salvation. And it's the Word of God alone that directs us on how we are to live daily and how we are to apply biblical principles to our lives. When all else fails to get a person's attention, no matter how long it takes, no matter how treacherous the road has been, no matter how difficult or how trying it has been, the Word of God will never fail and it will get the attention of those who are willing to listen. The second main point is this. We are not saved by keeping the law of Moses, yet that doesn't mean that the law has no purpose. We will learn how James points out that even though we are not saved by keeping the law, the principles of the law should not simply be thrown to the wayside. The law is beneficial to all people and will point us to follow, obey, and love like Jesus Christ if we view the law correctly. Remember, the law was meant to show us that we can't 
keep all of the Mosaic law, but it but it shows us the one who can and points us to the one who can. So ultimately, we we see that the law will 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 point us and direct us to Jesus Christ. And once we come into fellowship with Christ, we will begin to live and understand and obey and love as Christ does. The third main point is this: the church didn't segregate, but chose to bring these different people groups together unified in Jesus Christ. The early church could have easily split over the struggle to figure out the differences because these were great differences. There was a great chasm, so to speak, between these two people groups. It was like night and day. It wasn't easy, but the church leaders were determined to bring glory to God because it was the Lord's desire that Jews and Gentiles alike should be saved. All right, let's go ahead and look at the verses now. So we'll start with verse 12 of Acts chapter 15. And it says, And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Well, the first thing to point out here is the fact that They fell silent and listened. I mean, I had to stop for a minute and really look at this because (laughs) how difficult is that to do? To be quiet and simply listen. The Bible tells us in James chapter 1 verse 19 to be quick to listen and slow to speak. If you think about it, how many unnecessary conflicts would be avoided If we followed this simple truth to be quick to listen and slow to speak, I know in my household, (laughs) there would be a lot less arguments and uh, difficult situations if I humbled myself and was quicker to listen and slow to speak. We have all been in these, you know, situations and conversations where you're speaking uh, to someone But the other person, they're not even listening, honestly. Instead, they're preparing their own rebuttal to what you're sharing. To become a good listener takes a lot of practice, patience, and hard work. You see, because there is a huge difference between hearing and listening. Simple hearing takes no effort on our part. If we are blessed with ears and our eardrums work correctly, we naturally hear any sound uh, when we're exposed to it. But you see, listening is intentional because it's meaning that the individual either chooses consciously to listen or not when you actually listen. Also, listening reveals something about the listener. It reveals that they find whatever you're sharing with them is worthy of listening to. If they didn't feel like it, they would simply not listen. They would tune you out. Here in our text, it shows that even though there had been much dispute, these men were all of an honorable heart, meaning they were willing to listen and they were willing to be persuaded if their perspective was wrong. They were willing to be corrected. And that's a, that's a big deal. But that only comes from an individual being willing to listen. And listening is actually, uh, it falls in line with humility. 
if you're not humble, you're not going to listen to the other person. You're going to just tune them out and, and think how you think and keep your perspective how you see it. But uh, if you're willing to listen, uh, you're willing to, to, to consider what the other person is saying. The application for us this morning is this. For us today, when we run into conflict and disputes, there are times we, we need to be engaged in the conversation and actually listen to the other person rather than just try to get our point across. That's what Jesus Christ was honestly a master at, being able to listen to people and then relay his truth in context to their current situations. Jesus never compromised the truth. And on top of that, he was always willing to hear people out. I, I think of a few examples from uh, Nicodemus coming uh, in the middle of the night, asking him how could you know uh, how, how could he be sure of, of salvation to the woman at the well as Jesus addressed her and, and he heard her out and the things she shared to uh, Martha and Mary uh, being distressed about uh, their brother dying and, and Jesus not being there to the disciples and the many many times they had conversations um, even to, uh, to the Pharisees and, and how they, they they spoke to him. And, and challenged him. Uh, Jesus, he listened. He he was an expert listener. He was an expert listener uh, of people. Next, we see in in uh, this first verse, uh, Barnabas and Paul they confirm Peter's previous statement. You see, why would the Lord allow many miracles to be performed amongst the Gentiles if he didn't want them to be saved? Essentially, they were saying, God has accepted the Gentiles. Should we not as well? We must understand that Jesus performed miracles and the and he performed miracles through the disciples, not simply to make people's jaws drop, so people could be like, "Wow, that's amazing! You you healed that lame man. You uh, you gave uh, sight to that blind person. You you created a, a a mass amount of of food out of very little resources." It wasn't about that at all, but it was to reveal the might and his majesty of who he was, so that people would then choose to invite him into their hearts. That's part of Jesus knocking on the door of, of their hearts. All miracles and answered prayers should result in the recipient of those answered prayers and miracles to praise God even the more and to grow in a closer, tighter relationship to him. That is the purpose of the miracles. And that's why uh, Paul and Barnabas were saying we were used to perform these miracles so that the Gentiles would see that Christ is Lord. Okay, moving on to verse 13. It says, going on into uh, through verse 18. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has uh, related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets, prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Now we're introduced or we're, we're reacquainted with James. Uh, this is not the James 
the Apostle James, who uh, whose martyrdom is recorded in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. This was the James, the half-brother of Jesus, the brother of Jude, and the author of the book of James. James began by insisting God had a people amongst the Gentiles. Now, this is important to, to point out because back then, this would blow the minds of these religious Jews because they understood that they were chosen first to be used to reveal God's uh, revelation of himself to humanity. They knew that they were the chosen people. So for James to say that God had a chosen people amongst these Gentiles who were thought of as commonly not a full human as of a dog, they would have been bewildered by this. But again, as we have been learning in these past few weeks, the Lord's desire is to also include the Gentiles for them to be saved as well. If Jews and Gentiles could be saved alike by the blood of Jesus Christ, then that means both are God's people. So see, now we're getting to the heart of this message. James judged this new work of God by the way any work of God should be judged. Judged, excuse me. James was looking in, looking at it by what was written in the Bible. He was looking at this new work through the lens of God's word. In the passage, James quoted Amos chapter 9 verses 11 through 12. And it actually says in that passage that salvation will come to the Gentiles. This now demonstrates that what God did among the Gentiles had a biblical foundation. You see that connection pulling from the Bible in context, relating it to the current circumstances, saying that lines up, this is correct, okay. If you ever have a situation where you pull from the text in, in its context and it does not relate properly or the the application to whatever going on in the, going on in the situation doesn't apply then you know that what's going on is not right because the bible doesn't change the lord does not cast shifting shadows he's the same yesterday today and forever the application for us is this many things are considered biblical if they simply don't contradict something in the bible even though they may have no root in the scriptures but the reality is no teacher, nor pastor, nor counselor, nor any person with any kind of title should have any authority in the church unless what they're teaching can be shown that their conclusions are in accordance with Scripture. For James and the rest of these early church leaders, an outside authority would settle this matter between the Jews and the Gentiles and whether or not they should follow the Jews should follow this Mosaic law. The outside authority was God's word. Again, we must apply this principle to our life. This should be the way that you and I evaluate events in our own lives. And it's through solely the lens of God's word. What does God's word say on the matter what does God's principles speak to about this situation? The more we know God's word, the more we read it, the more we study it, the more we memorize it and meditate on it, the better you and I will be 
able to discern what is right and best in the times of controversy and doctrinal disagreements when they arise. But, you know, if we simply don't read the Word of God, we're not studying it, we don't listen to it, we don't memorize it, we don't meditate on it, we don't, we're not in prayer uh, with the Lord, we're not in communion with Him, then how are you going to decide, how are you going to be able to discern what is right and wrong when you're faced with a controversial situation? I mean, the answer is you simply won't. You'll be running around like a chicken without a head. You'll be making rash decisions based on emotion solely and not based on the scriptures. Next, we see that James used a portion of scripture, again, from the Old Testament to back his position on the matter. And, and I had just spoken about it. Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. He quoted this prophecy about the rebuilding of the fallen tabernacle of David. He remembered that the Judaism of his day had fallen down in a sense that it had rejected the Messiah. It had rejected the chief cornerstone. Now God wanted to rebuild that work, focusing on a church made up of both Jews and Gentiles. The application for us today is this. As we, as followers of Jesus Christ, are part of that rebuild, we have to understand that We've been grafted in to the true vine of Jesus Christ, right? You, we all know that verse, right? He is the vine. We are the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We can't take our position lightly and think, oh, yes, I'm just part of the, the Lord's church. I'm part of his body. He has grafted us in as Gentiles, and we've been given that blessing. We have been put into the vine. We are put into the body of Christ. We are part of this rebuild, this reworking. We walk hand in hand with our Jewish brothers and sisters, identifying that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And that is still going on today. That is why the Lord is still drawing people to Himself. He is drawing more Gentiles, unsaved Gentiles to himself. Next we see in these last two verses, we will conclude this message. So we'll continue on in verses 19 through 21. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is ready every Sabbath, he, excuse me, for he is read, that is, every Sabbath in the synagogues. In these last several verses, we will see how the early church actually applied the Word of God to their lives, to these Gentiles in this situation. There was going to be a letter that was going to be constructed, a letter that was going to be written out, and it was going to be sent to these Gentile churches and informing them on uh, what they should do. There was... Obviously, because of what was going on, there was much difficulty in trying to bring together this, this very different, diverse group of people. Jews and Gentiles uh, had so little in common. They had different histories. They had different traditions. They had different practices, different customs, different cultures, different languages. I mean, so it was just, you know, it was a very 
uh, you know, trying task, obviously. And, and this is, again, showing God's goodness and, and his richness and his greatness. This was something only the Lord could orchestrate. Men amongst themselves could not do this. We all know when you go look back at the, uh, the account of the Tower of Babel, right? Uh, you know, everybody had the same language. They were all trying to build, you know, a structure up to heaven. And because they were trying to defy the Lord and basically be their own gods, he dispersed that. And then, you know, once they had different languages, there was all this confusion and they couldn't get along and people were quarreling and fighting. And then you just see all kind of madness going on in the world. And that is what you see going on here, except God is intervening, making it possible for these different people groups to be tolerant and tolerable of one another and actually love one another. But with all the differences, how do you possibly make them one? How do you possibly allow them to to meld together to be one in one accord? I'll give you a few different scenarios. One, what what the world would do in this situation, and one of what the church should do in this situation for us to understand how this all came to be. The first is this. You could simply decide to do nothing. Like, no, this will never work. Um, I can't do anything about it. You know, we are just too different. Decide that it's just impossible. It's impossible for us to get along as as different people, different races, Jews and Gentiles, black and white, yellow and brown, whatever the case may be. We just can't do it. We're there, there's too we're too different. There's too there's too much variety amongst us. We'll never make it together. But if you go with that perspective and that view of thinking, that causes segregation, isolation, and ultimately we just end up looking at one another with suspicion. We're very weary of one another and we look at each other through a tainted lens. That way is never good. But especially when that perspective is in Christian circles, it makes the church unattractive to unbelievers and believers alike, honestly. Wherever there is snobbery and a judgmental spirit, the church loses its appeal. Well, let's look at this second perspective, the one that the church here in context took and the, 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 uh, the perspective that the church of today should take. The other solution is to submit our prejudices and suspositions, uh, presuppositions, excuse me, to the greater purposes of God. When we imitate Jesus Christ, we become understanding and accepting. There is a caveat. I, I want to make a disclaimer about that statement I just made about accepting. But we must be warned. Such tolerance is not meant to include sinful lifestyles. You see, that's what we have a lot going on right now. We're, we're, we're all inclusive <laughs> right now, right? But we're not standing for absolute truth. We're saying, oh, yes, 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 we accept everybody. We accept everybody. Yes, Jesus Christ does accept everybody on one condition, the fact that they call him their savior and they're willing to allow him to rework their lives and get rid of the sin and the nasty, sinful, bad habits of their lifestyle. It doesn't mean bring all your baggage and keep doing and living how you want to live and you got your get out of hell free card. That's not what it means at all. So we must not allow ourselves to be in a position where we become so tolerant that we do not call sin, sin, and we just simply allow people to live however they choose to live and we turn a blind eye to their actions and their lifestyle. James here mentioned a few laws 
that the Gentile believers should keep with an understanding that basic morality and living for God would cover the rest. <clears throat> we're not we're not saved by the law, and that's not what the context is saying here, that they needed to keep these, these laws to be saved by the law. We know that we're not saved by the law, nor are we bound by it. But by the same token, we aren't just supposed to disregard the law as if it was not true. I mean, that's like just saying, uh, we don't want to be like how our government just threw out the Ten Commandments, say we don't want them, you know. Like, we know we can't keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, but that doesn't mean you just throw them out and disregard them as they have no usage, they have no value. James was simply stating, it was, what what he was stating was, this was obvious for all believers to follow. These three commands had to do with eating habits and fidelity, the fidelity of the, the Gentile Christians. Though they were not bound under the law of Moses, they were bound under the law of love, the law of Jesus Christ, the you know him, his person, who he was, he came to fulfill the law. In Christ, we are commanded to love one another. So what does that look like? The law of love told them, don't unnecessarily antagonize your Jewish neighbors, both in and out of the church. And to abstain from sexual immorality, when James declared that, he was warning the Gentile Christians to uh, you know, think uh, not simply of outside of their own marriage, but also to recognize that, you know, this this meant uh, with family members as well, because there was a lot of incestual things going on at that time. And so he wanted them to understand that, you know, recognize that this is wrong. Instead, James was telling people to consider, consider, Consider your brothers and sisters, consider them and think of them before you take on this idea of just doing whatever you feel you are, uh, you know, given the right to do. Because we have to understand Gentile Christians had the right to eat meat sacrificed to idols, to continue their marriage practices and to eat food without kosher bleeding because these were aspects of the Mosaic law. Uh, and that they definitely were not under that law. However, they were encouraged to lay down their rights in these matters as a display of their love to their Jewish brethren. Um, you know, when you want to think of application, I mean, just think of, uh, again, the fact that maybe you are someone who, um, you know, chooses to have an occasional adult beverage, you know, again, um, the Bible doesn't say you you cannot uh, have any any form of of alcohol or anything like that. I you know you know it is what it is. That's a personal conviction. I know that the Bible clearly says be be drunk in the spirit, be filled with the spirit. You know not not with wine, but you know if you have an adult beverage that that's of your choosing. Uh, but say you're in a situation where you know you're going out to 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 eat or you have you know a a, a brother in Christ over. And a brother or sister in Christ, excuse me, over and, you know, maybe they, you know that they've had a past and they've struggled with substance abuse. Well, you need to use discernment. Are you in the comfort of your own home having them over as a guest? Is that something you should do? Should you, you have the right to have that beverage if you want, you know, you guys having dinner or you're relaxing or whatever, but 
is it beneficial for your brother or sister? And that's something for you, for the individual to have to pray about. That's that's an example, a modern day example, but that's basically what, what is going on here, what James was talking about. But if we are in a position where we could potentially cause a brother or sister in Christ to stumble, we are better off refraining from those things in order to show others our consideration and our love for them. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for this timely message dealing with uh, different people from different backgrounds and how we can come together in Christ and 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 love one another truly and, and truly see each other benefit in you. And it all comes from seeing the person of Jesus Christ, seeing how you dealt with us in the world, seeing what you did when when you were here, when you uh, took upon flesh and made yourself manifested before us, how you treated people, how you listened to people, how you cared for people, how you, uh, you know, were tolerant, but did not allow uh, the truth to be bent or broken. Father, help us to be that way today. Help us to see one another through your lens, through your eyes. Help us to see our circumstances through the lens of the word of God, that we may be able to understand better how we are to act, how we are to apply uh, principles from your word into our lives, that we could be a blessing to others and ultimately be blessed ourselves with a closer relationship with you because we are simply humbling ourselves and obeying your word. Father, give us this strength of yours. Give us this ability to understand your word, to see through a biblical lens that we would be those that would stand upon the rock of Jesus Christ and and love when no one else is loving, when we're standing up for truth, when no one else is standing up for truth, when we're speaking up, when no one else is speaking up for the truth of your word. May we be those that live out our convictions May you help us to understand it. Father, we thank you and we love you. I pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.